The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, November 24th, 2019, on the basis of Revelation 22, verses 6 through 13. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. We have been talking a lot about hope over the course of the past few weeks. That simple but profound conviction that things are going to get better. And at least according to what Jesus promises us, they will. And not just a little bit. Everything wrong, one day undone. Everything eternally, exactly as it is supposed to be. This is the better, brighter future that Jesus has promised to us. And if that's the case, as I've said to you several times in the last few weeks, the last thing that you would want to do is settle. The last thing that you would want to do is lower your expectations and be content with a future that is just a a little bit better than the life and the world that you enjoy today. Do not accept a cheap imitation of the better, brighter future that God has in store for you. Wait for the real thing. Now, as I've said to you several times over the course of the past few weeks, there are those who have a problem with that kind of hope. People who would assume that if that's what we as Christians are holding out for, then we'll pretty much be worthless in the meantime. In fact, I shared with you that old expression that the heavenly-minded are no earthly good. I don't know if it was Johnny Cash who came up with that expression, but he certainly made it well known back in 1977 when he wrote a song that said this, If you're holding heaven, then spread it around. There's hungry hands reaching up here from the ground. Move over and share the high ground where you stood. So heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. If that's what people think, about Christians, then the message that God has for us today probably isn't going to help matters much. As we'll hear today, Jesus doesn't simply want us to wait for him to come back. He also wants us to watch for his return. In other words, this isn't like a parent who says to his child, mom's going to be back in a couple of hours, and when she gets home, we're going to go to a movie. But in the meantime, find something to do. Keep yourself busy. Keep yourself occupied until she comes back. I'll let you know when it's time to leave. No, Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. I could come back at any moment, and you don't know when it's going to be, which means that you need to keep watch. You need to keep your eyes peeled. You need to stay alert. Jesus doesn't simply want us to wait for his return. He wants us to watch for his return. And how in the world are we supposed to do anything else in our lives if we're not only supposed to wait, but we're also supposed to watch. So it's good that as we wrap this series up, we we take a little bit of a look at what exactly that means to watch for Jesus' return. And as we're going to see today, watching for Jesus' return doesn't actually hinder us from doing good in the world. Believe it or not, it actually helps. In fact, I think that accusation that people like Johnny Cash might make about Christians is sort of like that old insult that someone might say to someone who doesn't seem very coordinated. They might say that they they are unable to walk and chew gum at the same time. Believe it or not, 
the word of God that we're looking at today says just the opposite of that. That watching for Jesus to return doesn't somehow make it impossible for us to benefit the world around us. It actually aids and enhances our ability to do that. In other words, as we look at these words from Revelation, we're going to see that you can, in fact, watch for Jesus' return and still manage to chew gum at the same time. So these words from Revelation come at the very end of the book. The Apostle John has seen everything that he's going to see about this better, brighter future that God has in store for him. And as that vision wraps up, Jesus says to John, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. So what does it mean to watch for Jesus to return? Well, it doesn't mean that you stop everything that you're doing, head outside, crane your neck back up to the sky, and then just freeze like that for the rest of your life. Instead, it means that you do all of the things that God has commanded you to do in all of the opportunities that he's given you to do them. It means that you live as his child, as a parent or a child, as a husband or a wife, as a student or a citizen, as an employer or an employee. But as you do those things, as Jesus said, all the while you are holding on to the words and the promises of Jesus. In fact, you are holding on to them sort of the way that you would if this evening you would try to do in your house, all of the things that you normally try and do in your house after 5 o'clock in the winter in Wisconsin, except with no lights, with it completely dark. You would be able to do all of those things, but odds are, all the while, as you do them, you would have to be holding something in your hand. You would have to be holding a light. In the very same way, as we wait for Jesus to return. That doesn't somehow hinder us from doing good in our world. Instead, no matter what we might be doing, all the while we are holding on to the words and the promises of Jesus. And yes, for starters, doing that, holding on to those words, makes us ready for his return. <coughs> holding on to a light is a pretty good reminder that the darkness is not our home. We can't function in the darkness the way that God intended us to. The darkness is not our home. We need light. And friends, rest assured, light is coming because dawn is on the way. In fact, you heard last week how the prophet Malachi compared Jesus' return to the sun rising. So just as a light that we're holding in the darkness would, also, would, would actually prompt us to long for the sun coming up, so also holding on to the words and the promises of Jesus inspires us to long for the day of his return. It keeps us ready. Well, what about in the meantime? Could someone make the argument that if we are waiting and watching for Jesus to come back, if we are holding on to his word at all times, we have less ability to do good in our world. I suppose someone could make that argument. Holding on to the word, the words and the promises of Jesus does take time. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes hard work. It takes sacrifice. It takes time that could be spent doing other things. And might someone say that you would be better off being able to do things with two hands than using one of those hands to hold on to something at all times? I suppose but consider the alternative. The alternative is living in complete and utter darkness without a light in your hand. 
The alternative is walking around in darkness, unable to see the things that are right in front of your face. The alternative is walking around in darkness, seeing things incorrectly, seeing things that aren't actually there. Would you have two, two hands free? I suppose. But you'd completely be unable to see anything. In the very same way, holding on to God's word does in fact take time, but it doesn't hinder us from doing good in the world. It actually helps us because it enables us to see things as they really are. For example, holding on to the words and promises of Jesus enables us to see, rather rather than falsely seeing, that our purpose in life is to achieve and accomplish and accumulate and really leave our mark and make a name for ourselves. Holding on to the words and promises of Jesus helps us see that our purpose instead is to make much of the name of the God who created us. If not for this light, we might look at the people in our lives and either view them as commodities or competitors. Assets that we can take advantage of in achieving our goals or things that are always standing in the way of us achieving our goals and therefore threats that need to be eliminated. If not for this light, that's how we would see people rather than seeing them as people God created, people for whom Jesus died and objects of our love and our service. If not for this light, we would see our money and our possessions as things to simply pile up as high as we possibly can and enjoy them while we can rather than things that God wants us to just give away generously for much greater goods. If not for this light, we would see the evil and injustice in our world as reasons to get angry and bitter, reasons to be upset with God and think that life is not fair, reasons to take matters and to take vengeance into our own hands rather than waiting on him to do so as he has promised. It's no wonder that after showing John all of these things, the angel says to John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll. Don't take the words and promises of Jesus and put them on the shelf. Don't set them aside. Don't say, I'm not going to need that until later, and when I do, I'll know exactly where to find them. The time when you need them is right now. The angel went on to tell John, let the one who does wrong Continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. With the light of Jesus' words and promises in our hands, we can be content not to take it upon ourselves to right every last wrong in the world, but instead to trust Jesus to do that as he's promised. And then the angel says to John, let the one who does right continue to do right and let the holy person continue to be holy. Those who are righteous and holy in God's sight for Jesus' sake, through what Jesus has done, let them continue to do good. Let them continue to be holy in the world. Holding on to this light, holding on to the words and promises of Jesus doesn't hinder us from doing good. It actually helps. Because of what Jesus has said. Because of these words and promises, we can, in fact, watch and still manage to chew gum at the same time. But, you know, maybe that's not usually the problem. I'm not sure what type of people Johnny Cash was thinking about when he wrote that song, The Heavenly Minded Are No Earthly Good, but I can't help but wonder if people knew us if they knew us well, if they followed us around each and every day, if they listened in on our conversations, if they got to see our calendars 
and our to-do lists, if they got to see our budgets and our bank statements. I wonder if the accusation would not be that we are of no earthly good. Maybe instead the accusation would be that we don't seem to be very heavenly-minded. In other words, maybe the problem, more often than not, is, is not so much that we get caught up in all of this watching for Jesus to come back that we forget to also chew gum. Maybe instead we get caught up in chewing so much gum, in doing so many other things, that the thing we're not doing a whole lot of is watching. And I think I know why that is. It's because of one little word that Jesus says. Jesus says, I am coming back soon. But of course it doesn't seem that way, does it? If my kids are hungry and I tell them that we're going to eat dinner soon, they might give me three minutes. If it's five minutes, chances are I'm going to be hearing some complaints. If I wait a full hour, it's going to be full-on revolt. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus first made this promise. 2,000 years since he told us that he was coming back soon. And maybe that doesn't cause us to doubt Jesus' promise or forget what he said, but maybe it does cause sort of the the edges of urgency, to be worn off of this this obligation, this responsibility that we have to wait and to watch, to think to ourselves, you know what? I can set this light down for just a minute. I can set it aside. My eyes are adjusting to the darkness pretty well, and so it'll be okay if if I set aside the words and the promises of Jesus for just a little bit. It would be easy to wait and to watch. If Jesus were, in fact, coming back very, very soon, the problem is it just doesn't seem as though he is. And that's why we need to ask one more time that question that we've asked a couple of times over the course of this series, this question related to hope, this question related to things that are going to get better, the question says who? The Bible says that Jesus is coming back soon. Well, says who? Says Jesus, of course. And the reason that's so important is because of a title that Jesus uses to refer to himself that we've heard before. Jesus calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. He calls himself the first and the last. In other words, Jesus is not confined within the walls of hours and minutes and seconds and days and months and years the way that you and I are. Jesus is eternal. He has a perspective on time that is completely different from ours. You maybe are aware that this weekend is the opening weekend of gun deer season here in Wisconsin. Deer hunting is another activity that requires a lot of waiting and a lot of watching. This year, what was significant about deer season in my house is that this is the first year that Noah was able to go hunting along with me. So we were out there yesterday morning, and it was pretty cold. And we didn't have one of those fancy shelters that you can bring a heater into and stay all warm and toasty. We were right out there in the elements. And I won't tell you how long I stayed, we stayed out there. But I will say that for one of us, it didn't seem like it was nearly long enough. And for the other of us, it seemed like forever. <laughs> Why is that? Well, we have a slightly different perspective on time. Jesus is the alpha and the Omega. He tells us that he's coming back soon. To us, it doesn't seem like he is. Whose perspective on time do you think matters more? 
And not only that, but rest assured, one day, the perspective he has on time is the perspective we will have as well. And we'll be able to look back at all that waiting and all that watching that seemed to take forever. And we'll say, man, that went by so fast. What a little blip on the radar, how quickly that all came to an end. That's one reason why it's important to ask that question, says who. But there's another important reason. You see, the very same Jesus who promises that he's coming back soon is the Jesus who came back once, who already came once to suffer and die for our sins. It's the same Jesus who lived and died and rose for us and defeated all of our enemies for us. And it's that Jesus who now promises that he's coming back soon. In fact, as you heard in today's gospel, he promises that when he comes back, he is actually going to come back to serve us. He's going to come back to the servants who are waiting for him and he is going to put on the servants' garments. He is going to set us down at his table and he is going to wait on us hand and foot. He is coming back, in other words, with a reward in his hand. And that reward is a seat at his eternal wedding banquet. And because Jesus is the one who makes us this promise, never once do we have to wonder whether or not he's going to keep it. There is absolutely no doubt it is guaranteed. Aside from the cold, one of the things that makes waiting and watching during deer hunting so hard is that after a while, you sort of convince yourself that no matter how long you sit there, you're not going to see anything. The only thing that's worse than waiting and watching is waiting and watching and being disappointed. So imagine if somehow you could be guaranteed that if you just went out in the woods and you stayed there long enough, at some point during the day, that big trophy buck was going to come walking right by. Wouldn't that change everything? Wouldn't that make all your waiting and watching seem completely different? Waiting and watching is turned completely upside down if there is the promise that at the end of all of it, we will have a reward. Friends, that's exactly what we have Because Jesus is the one who makes us this promise. The same Jesus who paid for this reward with his blood, sweat, and tears has that reward in his hand. And when he comes back, rest assured, he will give that reward to you. Not only because of what Jesus says, but because Jesus is the one who says it, we can watch for his return and still manage to chew gum at the same time. You know, when I I think about that, old familiar expression, it occurs to me that one of those two activities is kind of the primary one and one of them is secondary. One takes at least a little bit of our attention and the other one we can sort of do on autopilot. It would be easy for us as we think about Jesus' return to kind of flip those around and get those wrong. Watching and waiting for Jesus, yep, I've got that down. Piece of cake, I can put that one on autopilot. In the meantime, let's get busy chewing gum. Let's see what else I can accomplish until Jesus comes back. Friends, don't fall for it. Make waiting and watching the primary activity in your life. Make holding on to the words and the promises of Jesus the thing that matters most and let everything else find its place in what's left. In other words, keep watch. And when you do, you'll find yourself chewing gum like you've never chewed gum before. And not only that, but when Jesus comes back, you'll be ready. And even though you don't know when it is, rest assured that when he does, he'll have your reward in his hand. Amen.